But where are you really from? A podcast about the Asian American struggle. Hi, I'm Angela Lin, and I'm Jesse Lin, and welcome back to season two of "But Where Are You Really From." Today we have two special guests with us. Usually we only have one. Today we got two. They are huge BTS fans. So there's a preview for you on our topic today. We have Diana and Leslie. Hey, girls. Hello, hello. (laughs) Yes. So, so we can have a little bit of a sense of who you ladies are. We'd like to ease the listeners in with kind of the the opening question of our our podcast how would you answer but where are you really from you know this is like starting off with the hard (laughs) questions first this is always the thing where like it's usually accompanied by an eye roll before I actually answer (laughs) Um, but when I have gotten this you know for the fifth time after somebody asked me where I'm from (laughs) I am a native New Yorker so I was born and raised in New York, but my parents are from South Korea. Very cool. Nice. Um, and where am I really from? So I was born in Xinjiang province in China, which is the northwesternmost province, like at the tip of China where you meet Mongolia and Russia and all of the Istan countries. Um, and I moved to the United States when I was six and a half to Ohio. So. <laughs> That's where I grew up, and I went to New York for school, and I've been in the region ever since. Fabulous. So as Angela already alluded to this week, we are taking a deep dive into K-pop and BTS, and I think this is going to be an interesting journey for both Angela and I because part of it is like demystifying our Asian identities, and also part of it is exploring like cool new parts of being Asian that didn't exist when we were growing up. So first question for you ladies, what does BTS stand for? <laughs> In Korean? I don't know. <laughs> like, what? I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're starting you off with an easy one that we just like don't yeah. know. Do you want to take this one? <laughs> yeah, so BTS as it's like air quotes, original form, is essentially the acronym for the Korean name, which is Pangtan Sonyeondan. So the like B Pangtan T and then Sonyeondan, so BTS. And then, you know, as part of that, the direct English translation is basically Bulletproof Boy Scouts. Huh. So that's kind of what they were like, kind of, there's a there's a whole like prepared speech too about what the name means, about how they're like protecting the youth against, you know, the the stressors of society and kind of the pressures that society puts on them. So they act as like the bulletproof boys for, you know, the younger generation. But um, before, and especially as they've been increasing in like the Western world, you know, and everyone's like, what does BTS stand for? And like them being able to be like, well, it's actually the acronym for a Korean name is obviously gets a little bit um, confusing. So a few years ago, they essentially did like a rebrand where they were like, BTS stands for beyond the scene. So like beyond the scene. And and I think it's very interesting, actually, like as a fan, I would love to like hear everybody's feedback because I think as a fan, you're like, but that's kind of it, but also not really. But then it's kind of funny to see like Western press be like beyond, you know, like BTS, like parentheses beyond the scene. And everyone's like, that's kind of true, but also not. But they basically did like a rebranding, you know, as they got more popular. Okay, so 
how did you guys first get into K-pop or BTS? Did one come before the other? Like, how did you kind of start to slowly sink yourself into the world of K-pop? I think for me, um, growing up in Ohio, I wasn't introduced to a lot of the Asian music culture. You know, I just grew up listening to mainstream whatever was on the radio. It wasn't really until I went to NYU and joined a bunch of these Asian interest clubs like KSA or CSA and all sorority. (laughs) Yeah, Um, where uh, I really befriended a lot more uh, Asian friends and then got exposed to a lot of the Asian culture. So through that, I started listening to a lot more, you know, Asian artists, um, such as K-pop artists. I think at that time, it was the Wonder Girls and Big Bang were really big. Oh, and a girl's generation. So I think that was my introduction. And then BTS, I found out about, I think, in 2014, because there was this one song that kept on getting played over and over again. And then it was really catchy. So I was thinking, (laughs) okay, like, who is this? And then that's how I found out more about them. In New York, there were basically like Korean festivals like Korean culture festivals that would have like you know the stands with like people like selling kimchi or like you know having snacks and as part of that there would usually be like a headlining act or whatever so I remember even when I was like seven or eight I'd go with my family or I'd go with my best friend and we would like go watch the artist that was there so I was kind of introduced to it in a casual way but when I was a teenager I was totally like all about American pop though like I was like all in on that. And it was very funny because my um, best friend, my childhood best friend, who is also Korean American, was like very into Korean pop music. So it was interesting because we were like both interested in the same things, but from very different like viewpoints. It wasn't until 2009 that I actually like went deep into the fandom world with the group uh, at that point. And then that sort of like kind of reinvigorated this like love or sort of interest in K-pop. And then it kind of went on from there and here we are in 2020 where I'm still like talking listening to like generally k-pop or bring all this in and definitely when I was like in my Backstreet Boys like heyday would not have necessarily like seen this down the road so what is what was the k-pop group that like got you first interested and when did bts come into the picture because I don't hear you talking about other k-pop nowadays <laughs> I only hear you talking about bts the group that I got interested in in 2009 was a group called 2PM. Okay. And they were also a seven-member um, group, but there was a falling out between the members. And basically, <laughs> one of the members, who was my favorite member at the time, basically like had a falling out with the company and left the company and left the group. If I'm honest, like I, I fell real deep into fandom then, and then I, I got burned by it, right? <laughs> because the whole point of like fandom and, and these groups is like, it's an escape. It's fun. It's, you know, it's a distraction from the real world. And all of a sudden I was like sucked in this drama and all of this. And so I like stayed away from K-pop for a good while too. Cause I, I just kind of felt like I got burned. What's happening right now is like incredible to see just like how much ex- it's expanding beyond like, Oh, you like K-pop. Like now it's like, it's no longer super niche. Obviously it is like niche to an extent, but there's so much more that's happening that is really cool to see because you know five years ago when I was like started becoming a fan it was still a very you know more insular group or it was like a smaller kind of group of fans and yeah again like going back to like oh I never would have thought that 11 years ago this would have been where I I am but I think the same thing like five years ago I would have never been like oh look there's just like a casual magazine with a Korean you know 
group on the cover, like, no big deal, whatever, like, things that are crazy. Well, I think that's a good segue. You talked about, like, how much the Korean influence has evolved and, like, grown in mainstream and Western culture. That's, I think that's a good starting point for the broader conversation. So let's talk a little bit about this import of, like, not just K-pop, but overall Korean trends, like, K-beauty and, like, obviously K-pop. And I'm sure there's other things. Well, you know, Parasite. I read online, Leslie, I can't speak Korean, so you can correct me, but I read that this is called the how you? <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, is that close though? Um, yeah. The Korean wave, quote unquote. So why do you think that Korea became this like new focal point for all the rising trends? Because there was a time in the past when like Japan was kind of the focal point where everything was like J-beauty and like I don't know if there were J-pop things that like made it into mainstream, but at least from the beauty aspect and like things that did get imported, it was, if it was from Asia, it was from Japan. So like, what do you think is it about Korean culture, these Korean boy and girl groups that it's like, that is the country that's breaking out from the Asian region and having such a big influence despite, you know, it being a small island in, in the East. I think it's twofold. I think... I mean, I, I would agree the fact that like Korean stuff is like so popular and like you can find like kimchi and like Trader yeah, Joe's yeah. or whatever is like blows my mind because growing up when people were like, where are you from? You know, they'd be like, are you Chinese? No. Are you Japanese? No. Then what are you? Like Korean was like never even part of that like set of, you know, classifications of Asians. And then to have now people being like, oh, I love all these things is it's so just amazing to me um but i think yeah it's twofold i think one i think it's uh the korean government basically invested in product in k-pop in k-beauty i mean k-pop specifically but in all these as like this is going to be our soft power and this mm -hmm. is where we are going to actually use government money to help fund this and use this as like our export so like obviously they've got the samsung's you know they've got the lgs and all of that but like they are literally putting government dollars and resources to help fund kind of the growth of k-pop the export of that uh, and everything for that so i think it's it's a small country but they're they're choosing to like invest their government dollars in this which obviously um helps it because being a collectivist government too i do think that 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 means that right it's just like a rallying uh experience too because it's not just like individual like companies or individual people that are trying to like spread a movement it's like no, we like Hollywood wave. Like, yes, we are, we are going on this and this is the way that we're going. Um, so I think, and I think it's usually rare to see like governments really like truly investing in like entertainment yeah. as their, you know, choice of like, this is what we're going to put our, our um, money on, but they have done that, which I think has helped for that, um, expansion. I think the other thing that, you know, definitely comes into play for K-pop, I know this sounds trite, especially for like BTS fans too. It's always like the the code word too, where it's like social media is always like, we're like, they're not a social media group. Like they're more than that. <laughs> but I, I do think, you know, social media, especially YouTube, like, you know, Diane, I'd love to hear your experiences. Cause I remember too, like we used to find like 
like minute clips of things like on like torrent sites, you know, even before YouTube was a thing. And you're like, I like even being Korean American, I am obviously not 100% fluent. So I'm like, I don't really understand what this says. But, like, <laughs> this is the only thing that this is the only way for me to get their content. Mm-hmm. Whereas now it's like everything is so readily available on YouTube. There are like teams of fans that are sub- like you know, subbing content immediately versus being like, okay, they're laughing here. This is something I should laugh at too. Um, And a lot of that, the greater exposure that people have to stuff, right? Then it prevents Korea or, you know, whatnot from being like so insular. Mm -hmm. And I think with Japan, they do have a ton of J-beauty. There are some like J-pop artists, but like Japan as a country is, is quite insular, right? Like they're even like looking at music or whatever, their music industry is super insular. It's really hard to break through. Like they do a lot of stuff that's catered just to that market. And Korea almost took like the opposite approach of like, we're welcome to all. And I think that that then also opened up not only them exporting things, but also like being open to all of these different platforms and taking being able to take advantage of that and use that to also fuel you know, people learning more about Korea or getting more interested in Korean culture. Very cool. In terms of K-pop, one of the main, I guess, initial draws can be that it's so novel, right? Like you have choreographed dancing, you have very intricate costuming and the music videos are so well produced. They're like, you know, Hollywood level trailers for, you know, there's previews for music videos you know instead of like okay sneak peek one and then two and then three and then they make it sort of like that you're waiting for the next Mm -hmm. one to come out so you're anticipating so there's more of that hype for when the the actual video comes out and then so there's a lot of build-up and the production value is like super high I, I you know initially when someone is a casual viewer that can draw them in initially and you know, if they say, oh, this is pretty catchy, I want to learn more, then again, it, it becomes a YouTube hole where you just keep on clicking related video, related video. And um, they do a good job of providing enough content where y- you keep on going back for more, um, but also limiting it to where you want more when it comes back out. So I, I think they do a good job of however they decide to sort of control the flow of content as well. Interesting. Yeah. So now we kind of understand a little bit more about this Korean wave and how it's like penetrating into the US, but help us understand a little bit more about BTS and like why it's so popular for y'all and kind of how it's gotten so popular in the mainstream here to be even like on, on our music awards shows a few times having appeared at the Grammys. Like it seems like they have like a really meteoric rise. And for me, I'm like looking at this and I'm like, it's kind of just, it looks kind of like it's coming out of left field for me. So I, I would really like to understand like what you guys think the secret sauce is to them. That's like driving them so far and so fast. I, I guess from my perspective, the thing that drew me into BTS versus the the previous artists that, Um, I still like, but not as much, Um, (laughs) is that uh, I think the company did a good job of letting the artists control their conversation with the fans. So allowing them to have a Twitter, have Weverse and all those other uh, social media platforms to talk directly with the fans, answer fan questions, that kind of thing is, I think, pretty rare for the Korean entertainment industry where they more tightly control what their artists are able to do. Um, I think you, you've heard in probably the headlines like 
you know, if certain artists date, then it becomes a scandal and uh, who they interact with, it's very tightly controlled. Even, you know, smoking or having tattoos is you know, looked down upon. Um, but I think uh, BTS's parent company, they did a good job of allowing their artists the freedom to engage with the fans openly. So it seems like a more authentic, almost a relationship that you're able to have with the artist where you are more invested in how they're doing. Like you, you don't just see them on the stage or in the music video, you see them, you know, doing cooking shows or we're just messing around in the practice room or, you know, pr playing pranks on each other. That sort of thing that makes them more real people than just someone you put on a pedestal and admire as an idol. Um, I think it gives them a real realness, a humanness to them. So I think that uh, helps the fandom connect better. And that's what engages so many people because you see them struggling and you can sort of connect with that because they're not perfect. They're not portraying a perfect image. Mm. Yeah. I do think too, and I think it's probably hard for either newer people or people who aren't as familiar with like BTS as like their story and their journey for all of that. But like as fans maybe that are like kind of on the like have been around just a little bit longer or whatnot like they were very much outsiders when they started like they you know the k-pop industry in and of itself is notoriously difficult right you have like hundreds of thousands of kids that are wanting to like debut and become superstars and and the industry is ruthless right like it demands a lot of people and only a select few groups are able to rise and then of course even like fewer are able to like break through and like, you know, reach that like top group status. They were very much outsiders. And so there was a lot in BTS's overall like journey that is very much about them like fighting for their place in the industry. So like giving 110% because when you're not like, here's a great way for you to come into this, like you have to, you know, you have to double down and you have to do everything that you can. So I think that's also something that is very prevalent, even in how they carry themselves today, even though like they're like, definitely certifiable millionaires right but i think there's a lot in the way that they portray themselves where it's like they don't half ass things and i think as a fan that is so great to see because like they could do the bare minimum and everyone still be like this is amazing <laughs> i love this right like they've they've earned that right to do that right but they don't they go all out on their concerts on their tours like all of this like and and you see that and as a fan you're like they're committing to their craft. They take their, you know, they take their job because at the end of the day, even though it's for our entertainment, it is their job. Right. And they they take that seriously and that humility and that sort of mindset of them having to basically like work as hard as they can to get to where they want, I think, hasn't left them, even though now they're in a very different you know, level from any of their peers, honestly. Right. Because they're they're forging a lot of paths there. And I do think that that also helps with their overall story. And I know as a fan, it's something that really connects to me because like, you know, they're at the top, but they're still giving everything they can. There's a lot in there that I think that makes me proud to be their fan. And like things like even, you know, if we're buying things like I, like I, and I think a lot of fans and Diana laughing, like do it happily. Cause we're like, yes, you should be successful. Like, Aww. yes, you should make more money, you know, like doing all of this. We're like, I am happy to do that because I'm like, you should like you should be even more successful and like doing all of this stuff and i think that's like honestly pretty rare very much you feel like you are a part of their success and their journey and kind of it goes back to the the point that 
Diana was saying before about that like connection and authenticity, I think shows up in a lot of different ways. So that like, I think a lot of times if you're like an army, you're like, I'm an army and I'm like throwing down and this is it. So here we are, good and bad for that. But uh, I think it's something that is felt maybe more passionately with this fandom than potentially other fandoms. Well, let's talk about ARMY. <laughs> oh. ARMY is so interesting because as someone who doesn't listen to BTS, but like I know who they are, I've heard of ARMY and like from what I know, they're one of the biggest and like most intense fandoms that have maybe ever existed, right? What is it about the mix of being a BTS fan and being part of like this specific fandom that is making this magic sauce like this such an explosive thing and such a big influence on the internet right now. Like I remember when BLM first started, ARMY like took over the internet and like directed the spotlight to a lot of important messages there because they had that influence. So like where did this come from and what's like driving this huge power behind this fandom? I think honestly, one of the most interesting things and Angela, you know, you and I work in marketing, like a big part of our jobs are like KPIs and like, what are our goals and doing all this? Like ARMY is extremely goal oriented. And I think <laughs> that that makes it, I know it sounds kind of ridiculous cause you're like, oh, I mean, but like they're literally like comeback goals. So like goals on the official trailer, goals on X, goals on wow. like literally being mm. like driven and obviously, you know, everyone's like, it's okay if we don't meet it, but like, here's what we're yeah. gonna try to do. And I think that like organization plays a big role in how such a large fandom can can be seemingly like super hyper-focused and super, you know, organized and able to impact change. Like there are some very big and influential, uh, I don't know what to call them, I guess, like people on Twitter. I don't really know, organiz they're not really organizations, but basically Twitterati. like- Yeah, Twitterati, yes, perfect. Um, <laughs> like one of them uh, is called like BTS Charts Data and like literally is like king of army Twitter, like can rally people. There were times when it was like, hey, like something, something, you know, pissed army off. So they were like, we're gonna show the American music industry that we're not to be messed with. I basically ranked every single song in the iTunes chart just by this one account tweeting out like we're going on a mass buying spree like everybody buy now and like literally every single song in the itunes chart is like taken over wow. by this so it's very influential accounts that are being hyper organized and focused on goals and purpose that are then allowing for things like blm or kind of other movements to happen and like things like blm i think the reason why army was able to mobilize quickly is because like we have done this before, right? There have been other causes that, you know, people will rally and do on this. So it's not like somebody is like, oh shoot, we should do this and like scrambling mm -hmm. together. It was like, here's here's a platform, here's a, you know, one of the Twitterati who, who um, you know, can manage this. And it was like hyper-focused, right? We are gonna match a million dollars in 24 hours, let's go. And then it's like all the, you know, big fan accounts tweeting that too. And so I think there's a lot of like, honestly, it's a lot of organization that allow, this like massive group of people to seemingly feel like they're acting as like one cohesive unit. Can we just give a shout out to Asians for a second? The fact that like it's a goal oriented, objectives oriented <laughs> thing that has to come from being Asian. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's true. You know, every, every time a music video comes out, 
they want it trending number one or, you know, like the, the, the Twitter trends, one, two, three, four, five. And the other thing is, it seems like it's a very inclusive community nationalities all over the world if you if you look at when a song is released or when an album is released they're literally ranking on charts across the globe so it's not just the asian countries plus english-speaking countries you know they're on charts in africa they're in, on charts in the middle east they're on charts in europe all over the swath of the entire globe uh, so it's very inclusive and then there are army translators as well that are able to translate you know, the Korean content into all of these languages so that they can be com uh, consumed by the local fan base. Do you think that being able to understand what the music is actually saying in the, in the native language gives you a different perspective on the music versus a, like someone else who, let's say, fandom in Africa or someone who doesn't understand the language? Um, it's an interesting question. I think, too, because I'm not like 100% fluent, I rely a lot on translations, too. Um, so it's like an interesting thing. I think, I don't think I necessarily get less from it because I think honestly, in some ways I can get lazier because if there are some phrases that I recognize or whatever, I'm like, okay, like I get it. Or like contextually, I get it versus fans who don't understand Korean, like really want to know, you know, what the context of that lyric is. And they'll go to like the fan translators who usually will also have like notes or you know asterisks or things that will like provide additional context so i think there's actually a chance that like i get less out of it because i'm like oh, okay i understand the intent and like somebody else you know like not to like be racist or whatever but like the random white person is like actually did you know that there's everything about this and i'm like oh no i guess i'll go and read that lyric translation then um so i think there's a bit of that but i think the part for me as a korean american seeing people like sing along to Korean lyrics like it's it's like an incredible feeling it's amazing to see like I'm like I get like so proud feeling too because obviously those people usually they're singing along but a large majority of them are you know have also like read the lyrics or done whatever and, and like non-Korean speakers also feel a kinship with the lyrics so I think honestly there's been a bit more of that for me personally where it's like the lyrics I, I do actually like admit that I probably know less than some others but it's um it's been really just incredible to see people like singing along in Korean and, and really being moved by what they're saying because again like as you like deal with like insider outsider what that all means it's like it is literally feels like a cultural shift to see like a blonde haired <laughs> blue eyed white girl like singing Korean lyrics I'm like I don't how is this happening? Like, what's going on? I think for me, as someone who doesn't speak Korean, um, just reading the lyrics, I do think a lot probably does get lost in translation because just like all Asian languages, certain things are very poetic. So certain phrases mean things when they're put together. But if you take each word and try to translate it, a lot of that meaning is just, you know, it, it can't be translated. So on one hand, I get the basic idea of what the song is trying to say. And I, you know, with the whole lyric together, you understand how deep the lyrics are. But if I'm taking each line by itself, they might be saying something like way deeper, but because mm -hmm. it can't be properly translated into a language that I can understand, maybe I'm not getting the full feeling. So at the beginning of this, you answered the like, where are you from question as like a 
kind of intro to identity, but I think as part of our entire experiment with this podcast, it's very clear that like identity can mean a lot of different things and like you can identify with much more than just your ethnicity and like the country that you grow up in. So I'm curious how much ARMY and like your affinity to BTS you consider as part of your identity. You know, it's like kind of funny because I feel like now that I'm like getting older, I'm like, I don't have any hobbies. I don't have, you know, like, <laughs> I feel like when we were younger, we were like, oh, I love like doing all these things. And now I'm like, I like watching YouTube and <laughs> doing other things. So I think honestly, from that perspective, like being an ARMY, like being a fan of BTS is is very much like a part of my identity now. Because now if someone's like, oh, what do you like to do? I'm like, oh, you know, I like to watch YouTube, which correlates like I love I love going to concerts correlate you know it's like a lot of stuff um, for that and I think I've been fortunate enough at work where you know I know a lot of times some people have to kind of like separate personal from professional and, and there could be an impact like my senior vice president knows that I'm a huge BTS fan and it is like part of my identity like having that I'm like yeah then it then it is part of my identities in a group of strangers maybe I wouldn't lead with that but maybe I'd like kind of like figure a way to like get around it a little bit and then kind of like suss it out and see if like it's a safe environment to kind of go in on that but like I don't feel like I can't say that it's part of my identity which I think is really nice and and is the benefit of ARMY being so like all-encompassing and being able to you know apply to such a wide range of people. If you'd asked me maybe 10 years ago if I would have admitted to a group of people that I'm like a K-pop fan, maybe I wouldn't be so comfortable doing so. But I think as I've grown older, older, it's, you know, if it's something I enjoy, I don't think there's any reason why it should be looked down upon. I think probably a decade ago, people would be like, oh, what's K-pop? Is like, you know, as almost like a derogatory, yeah. like, why would you listen to that? almost seen as like this weird counterculture or subculture group but now um it's very much something that i would say oh like i would love to introduce you to you know my favorite group or whatever here share a music video you would love this or like yeah like leslie said i i wouldn't you know go up to a group of strangers and say hi my name is diana and i'm a uh, army but, <laughs> there's more armies than you would expect though you know just you know sometimes i'm going to because I have a army, like a BTS case on my phone. So sometimes when I put it down, they're like, oh, you like BTS? I'm like, yes, are you army? I'm like, yes. And then it's like this instant connection that you have with somebody, which is really sort of rare, you know? It's almost like being from the same hometown, you know, halfway across the globe or something. So it's really nice. I love that. Where do you think this Korean wave of people, of music, of products, like where do you think that's gonna be like a year down the line, five years down the line. I mean, what do you guys think is going to be kind of the continued trend of this moving forward? I think it's really hard to tell because I think it's hard to know if it's going to reach the saturation point really quickly because now like every group is trying to expand into America, right? Like every group has, is now partnering with a, you know, a US label and they've got plans and they're doing all of this. Like now it's very almost formulaic at a time. It's almost like taking the K-pop formula and then now like seeing like, oh, how can we bring it into mainstream? So I do wonder if we're starting to kind of hit that inflection point because I think a lot of Western audience, audiences are like, oh, here's a shiny thing. And then once it becomes like too oversaturated or like too whatever, then you start having like the backlash to that, right? And then it's just like, oh no, now we're going to reject it. So 
Uh, that's a positive, that's a pessimistic <laughs> out outlook, but <laughs> I, I do worry that we might be reaching kind of a saturation point with that. But I think to be said, like the stuff, yeah, like Parasite winning, like, and everyone's like, it would like, this film deserves this, but it won't win. You know, like it was kind of like, we're going to hope it wins, but it probably yeah. won't to like sort of protect everyone's like pride and not get too excited. But I think what that does is all of a sudden now it's not just like music, right? Because now it's film and then, you know, whatever, what, what else is next? So I do think that there will be this kind of like growing need to start outsourcing or like pulling in for like content ideas or doing all of that. I think for better or for worse, what's happening all now with with all of like the anti-racist, you know, movements and everybody wanting to be more inclusive and thinking about that. I, I hope that that also continues like to be, you know, to start including Asian content as well, like not to take away from that moment and, you know, what's important for like the BIPOC um, community. But I do think that then everyone's going to be like, oh, hey, like we weren't really paying attention to this before, but like maybe we should check this out. And that's where the real future in that five-year mark is going to be that people are now actually starting to like pay attention to what's going on over there. Like we have seen it, like there are adaptations of like Korean shows that have come over into the U.S. And I, I do think that that type of sort of like cross collaboration, I guess, of, of content is what's going to continue and help not make it be like, ooh, here's this like foreign thing that's coming into our country. But then it's just part of like, oh yeah, this is like the next evolution of American, you know, media or Western media. Yeah, I think just like, you know, Latin music broke through with, you know, trailblazers in the industry, you know, the Shakiras and the JLo's of the world, uh, maybe BTS will be a trailblazer in that sense. It may never be as mainstream as something that's 100% in English that's going to be played on top 40 charts every single day on the radio. But it can be something where it's more accepted in general, where it's no longer niche or it's no longer something that you have to explain every single time, like what is K-pop to, you know, your friend. So I think there's definitely a potential for growth there, uh, not just in music, but also in film. As Leslie said, you know, you had Crazy Rich Asians, then you had Parasite and you have Mulan coming out on Disney um, with an you know, all Asian cast. Trends like that is obviously very positive, but I hope it's not just a blip on the radar where yeah. like, yes, right now we're very interested in Asians. Like this is the new thing. Like, <laughs> like Hibachi is the new thing or Sushi is the new thing or Boba is the new thing. Um, but I hope that it can continue and just become something that is just another music, right? Like it's, it's just music, it's just in a different language, or it's just film, it's in another language. And it can just be consumed as such, not be considered a separate category. Oh, it's foreign film, or it's foreign music, and stuff like that. There is growing acceptance, and as people get more exposure to something, it becomes less of a thing that they're scared of or nervous about, um, and more something that they can easily accept. Beautiful. All right. This has been a really lovely conversation. Thank you for bringing the fire here. This has uh, been a very passionate discussion as we anticipated. Um, so we'll move into our closing section, our fortune cookie, because we always like to end on a sweet treat. And we thought a fun way to end this because you two are massive BTS fans. And I, I believe you've both done some crazy things to see BTS. What is the craziest thing 
or like the most you've ever done to see BTS live? In, in 2016, I flew to Japan so I could see their stadium show. <laughs> and from, from, New York. from New York. Yes. And I think I stayed <laughs> for only five days in Japan. But the main purpose of the trip was really just to see them in live. Um, and I think I bought the tickets through some third party courier person because in order to buy tickets for their Japanese shows, you have to be part of a Japanese fan club. And then there's a lottery if you're in the fan club to even be able to purchase tickets. So it was a whole thing. I was working through Google Translate and emailing back and forth with someone in, who was Japanese and wow. didn't speak perfect English. And then I was trying to, you know, communicate payment and how I would get the tickets, but it worked out. So I did see them. It's funny because it's like, what's the craziest thing? And I feel like both of our things are exactly related. So maybe not that crazy if you're an army, but uh, mine would have to do with concert. So I went to Korea for the start of their Love Yourself tour, which is back in 2018. Uh, and I basically paid four times Oof. the ticket price to sit in literally the 10th from the row like 10th from the back row in a stadium of 55,000 people. So basically they were like ants, but I was so happy to be there. It was great. It was one oh of the God. highlights. Awesome. Thank you both for joining us. This has been a really fun yes. conversation. And Jesse and I knew nothing really going into this. So this is like perfect, very educational. <laughs> and now we know some things. Yeah, the yes. surface level, I would say. Seems yes. like there's a Join the army, guys. That's right. It's very, it's very welcoming. We welcome you with open yes. arms. All right. Yes. Cool. So if you like this episode, write us in at tell us where you're from at gmail.com. Tell us if you're an army. Tell us if there's a different K-pop artist that you're really into. Share that love with us so that we can connect everyone in this community together. And we will come back next week with a fresh new episode. So until then. Bye. 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 Bye.